Welcome to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Here, you will find discussion on all things EMDR from MDR-approved trainers and consultants, as well as some co-hosts. EMDR is an approach to the entire therapeutic journey, not just reprocessing trauma. This podcast will feature discussion on the therapeutic relationship, understanding and using the original eight-phase protocol, and what to do to bring deeper understanding to the why behind EMDR and what to do when you're stuck. This podcast is an invitation to connect and learn together about EMDR and the process of psychotherapy. We are glad that you're here. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. I am here in the studio today, just me, Melissa, and Beth Sagaloff. Did I say that right, Beth? You did. Okay, good. (laughs) And uh, we're going to be talking uh, mostly just about uh, your personal journey with EMDR and some other important things that you and I have in common. Um, But uh, we wanted to kind of give this space and platform mostly just to hear about you as a human being and what your work is at this point. So Beth, I'm going to let you introduce yourself uh, in whatever way feels best, because I feel like there's a lot to say about who you are and what your work is, but mostly how you got to where you are today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And I I sort of when I um, before we came on, I was just thinking because I've been listening to the podcast mm-hmm. for so long and love the way that we connected and just that we're able to have this conversation together, I think actually is part of the healing journey. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to share your story and then how you use your story to support other people or give other people permission to um, to hear themselves and someone else's story. So I'm just, I mean, really excited to be here and be in this conversation. Well, thank you. Um, Time to do it. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, in thinking about the healing journey and where I am is I feel like it's just an ever changing ongoing process. And as I was thinking about it, you know, it's like, I think about this sort of metaphor to um, being on a mountain Mm -hmm. and it's like, we're climbing, we're climbing. We get to a point and it's like, wow, we see this view. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And we notice what's around and then something happens and maybe we fall or maybe there's a storm and then we're like, all right, like, you know, got to like pack a new bag and either we gather new people or some people don't come on this trip Mm -hmm. and we start climbing again and climbing again. And then we find a different view and it's, you know, oh, wow. I didn't know that this was over here and this part of this, the mountain and then something else happens again, and it's this falling down. And, and you know, each each path and each sort of viewpoint is so different. And we see different things along the way. And as I was looking back, um, preparing for today or thinking about the conversation and thinking about connecting the dots of how I got where I am today, you know, and as a I think that like one of the points for me in the healing journey was when I started um, the most vulnerable place where I thought at the time was in my twenties, overcoming an eating disorder and not knowing that it was numbing a past of sexual violations that I had experienced. And I felt like, okay, overcoming this is the 
hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And up until then it, it was. Yeah. And then I got a divorce and I thought that was the hardest thing I had ever gone through. Right. And it was this constant, like, wow, what is, you know, what is going, there was so much struggle and in my divorce, just to sort of back up, I was, um, professionally at that time, just to give some context, I was a school social worker. I'd been a school social worker now, not at that time, but overall I practiced in schools for about 16 years. And even looking back at that, like I knew that I wanted to provide a space for children um, to express, right, to emote, to give them time to to identify, explore emotions, and then work with families and work with the teachers and in a team. And so professionally, that's where I was. And my ex-husband and I had a have have a son together. He's now 18. Um, we divorced when he was about two. And the divorce was very challenging, um, very hard time in my life. And then I had this most magical moment, the, the moment where um, I found true love again. And it was this, um, Ben and I kind of re-met our families, our friends. So I'd actually known him for a long time, but in different ages, different places, different times. And it was kind of like, oh, like this is what we've been waiting for. Yeah. And it was instant. And everything felt like a big exhale. Mm. Oh, wow. Like everything. And six weeks into our dating, he said to me, I have good news and I have bad news. And he said, the good news is we're getting married next summer. And the bad news is that I'm deploying. And a year later, he was killed in Afghanistan. And that is when my life really became a before and an after. And I never felt that broken. Um, I never felt before my life as I knew it was completely over. And what I didn't know at the time also was that it started a path down a massive healing journey, uh, spiritual growth, and uh, something that I had never planned on going to the depths of where I have gone. Um, but that was really my before and after of when the, the depth of the healing began. And, you know, as a therapist, I of course went to therapy after he died. And, and, you know, I got to this point where it's like, I can't, how much more can I talk about this? Mm. Talking wasn't enough. Yeah. And so I started opening up to different types of support and I received a Reiki healing session from a friend. And it was the first time that I felt peace mm. and I felt a connection to Ben felt his presence. And I found my yoga mat in a way that 
is really hard to put into words hmm. because I'd been going to yoga for many years inconsistently, but yoga had always been a very physical practice for me. Hmm. And I was definitely that student where the teacher would say, quiet your mind and let your body be still. And I was like, see ya. That's like, when I was like <laughs> checked out. Like, why would I want to be in my mind and in my body? None of it was safe. Yeah. My body wasn't a safe place to be. My mind was very unkind and um, not, not a fun place to be at all until it was hmm. until I I don't know what it was. I do know what it was. I think I probably felt safe. Yeah. And I just wept. Yeah. I just wept and cried. I sat in the back and I just wept on my mat. And my body was ready to release what it had been holding for so long. And not only... And this was in conjunction, by the way. So to mm. um, also add, this is also when I started going to EMDR. Mm. Mm-hmm. I started going to EMDR connected to my grief. Yeah. But it really opened up. It was like a, it opened up a door to all the unhealed trauma um, that I had mentioned earlier. Yeah. And so all of that combined was just this, the mat became this place to let my body um, release and allow myself, give myself permission to be in the stillness. And they're like, oh, this is going to pass. I don't need to numb this anymore. It's okay to feel it. And then in conjunction with EMDR, things were shifting. Yeah. And so... I sort of to make a long story short, what's well, kind of long at this point, but I took this big leap of faith because I, in my heart of hearts, um, again, knowing I can't talk through all my problems. Now I was like, oh, right. The issues are in my tissues mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, the energy piece, the, the body, the physical body, the emotions, the, the thoughts, the beliefs, everything was um, shifting and changing. And so I left my school job mm-hmm. and I decided to get trained in all the things. So I became a Reiki master and a yoga teacher and an EMDR therapist and a breathwork facilitator and uh, other <laughs> interesting things. Mm-hmm. And I started my own practice yeah. and um, we can get into some of the details more about what I'm doing now, but that's sort of how the, how it has all unfolded. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing it. I think um, it's such a common awareness that as healers, we could have come to our work with such a uh, extensive history of our own, but we don't always make space to talk about that. <laughs> and uh, I, I love heal- he- healing stories of all kinds, but there's something about the stories of um, healers themselves and how we learn what healing really means and what, um, is possible when we take that journey ourselves. And when we feel, you know, I, I love that, that phrase, you know, it's kind of funny, but it's so real that the issue in my tissue of when, when you actually have the felt sensation 
of how real that is and how different that kind of experience is from a cognitive insight, right? A, a, a purely mental realization in comparison to that full bodied realization and release. Um, it's really hard to ever go back to a purely mm-hmm. cognitive way of working. It's uh, pale in comparison. And, uh, you know, I think EMDR is such a bridge. It, it creates so much beautiful room for those kinds of encounters to occur. And I think part of what I'm so excited about in the EMDR community is that there's this openness right now, this curiosity around how EMDR therapies can really evolve um, and bring in the creativity and the, the beauty of other modalities that are so well suited to inviting our bodies into safety so that this, this release can begin to unfold in a really organic way that's so honoring to what our body wants to do to heal. There, there's so much embedded wisdom when we can find a way to tap into it. And I, you know, our, our stories have a tremendous amount of overlap in them, some significant differences, but a lot of overlap. And I was 16 when I found yoga mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it was like, you know, I'll, I'll say all day long. It was a thing that saved my life. Although at the time I had no idea why, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't articulate why is this so important? Like, what is this doing? But I also knew that it was the thing that was helping. Like somehow it was my sanity in the midst of all of the insanity. Um, and, you know, I, I was doing therapy at the same time, but when you have that felt experience of this is getting to the root and the core of something that talking cannot even touch. It's like, I'm, I'm seeing myself and I have found a mirror that is so much clearer than anything I've ever seen before. Um, so yeah, I, and I love that there's so many people like yourself that are beginning to bring those two worlds together and say, these do not have to happen in two separate rooms. You know, there's yes. so much beauty when they happen in the same room. <laughs> yeah. I love that you, you said that because when I left my job and I became a Reiki master, I was like, well, I guess I, now I guess I just do Reiki. I guess right. I, this I, is I what I do. Table and I guess I'm just a Reiki master. And then it was, <clears throat> excuse me. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. I remember with some of my first clients, I was like, well, but it's, I'm still coming to the room with the therapeutic background. So we're still talking about things. And then it was like, oh, okay. So we're talking about how you're, you know, I'm noticing, for example, that there was maybe um, blocking in the throat, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then the, the client may be talking about how they're, having trouble expressing themselves or communication in a relationship. Well, okay, well, that makes sense. And then it's bringing the yoga piece. Well, why don't we, why don't we just get curious about making some small movements with our, our neck and, oh, well, what just happened? Right. So it's, um, but I also want to reflect back on something that you said about creativity. Yeah. Because we know that um, in trauma and in grief, often creativity is, is, um, shut down. Yes. Um, we, we become very narrow. I can say for myself and we know in trauma that we can see, we often see through a a more of a see and feel through a constricted narrow lens. Yes. And trying to connect these dots as we're speaking, it is 
when I started practicing EMDR, I was like, wow, this is like, it was sort of the structure that I was looking for because I was so all over the place. Yeah. And I was like, but I've also been doing this without knowing how to do the bilateral. Right. It was like, I've, this is, this is giving me the most amazing structure and I've kind of already been doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And it allows for more creativity. Even with a client today, we brought drawing in, right? Mm -hmm. So um, with a teenager that I'm working with. So it's just, it is, it is because then when also I'm watching or I'm observing how my, my purpose, I will um, interchange purpose and work, but how my purpose is expanding as my own healing is expanding because there is, I am allowing and giving myself permission for the creativity Mm -hmm. and that it doesn't have to be, okay, we're in our session, 45 minutes. um, And it's, it just allows for so much more it's another place on the mountain where I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. And all these other people are with me and all these tools and yeah. Well, and there, and it creates a sensation of combined resources, right? Yeah. It, like it's not up to me to know an answer. It, it's this process of uh, unfolding and co-discovery and, you know, we're exploring this terrain together and you're going to see some things and I'm going to see some things. And um, yeah, it, it creates an atmosphere in therapy that I think is this beautiful invitation to the client to discover their own curiosity. And, you know, what we know from polyvagal is that curiosity is such an anchor into ventral activation. And so the more we can turn on curiosity, the more we're moving out of that fight, flight, freeze response and into the part of our nervous system that is so equipped to know how to heal itself. Um, And so like in all the ways that we can find to be creative and curious and open up their nervous system and ours to that kind of co-discovery and exploration, that's when we start to have sessions where it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what just happened, but that was amazing. (laughs) And I had no plan going into it. Yeah. hundred percent. And I'm, and sometimes I'm like, right. It has nothing to do with me. Right. Right. So it's like the more healing I do, it's like this I I find it to be the most humbling space to be in because I get to sit back and I feel so grateful that I, you know, have absorbed these tools, but I just get to reflect back and like, here, let's, right. Are you curious? Like, let's get curious to try this. And then when a client will come back and say something like, did you, (laughs) wow, like that is, I couldn't have said it any better, but it comes from them because of the, the relationship. And the, I love that the co-discovery, the collaboration is really beautiful. Well, and and I, I think there's just such an embodied experience of deep attunement with clients when we're both coming at it from that perspective and it, you know, immediately is offering them this invitation to discover their own power, their own autonomy, their own uh, genius that's in their cells that, um, you know, they've almost always, when they, when they come into therapy, they're so disconnected from that because of the trauma and because of all of the survival strategy. And there, our culture has taught clients to come in expecting therapists to have answers, you know, to be the guru with the wisdom. 
And I'm just so disinterested <laughs> in ever finding myself in that position because it's precarious, right? And, and it can um, accidentally re-traumatize our clients because number one, we are going to continue to be human. And at some point there will be a rupture um, mm-hmm. and we will fall off that, that guru pedestal for them. But number two, it, it continues that disconnection from their own intuition, which is something that I, I wanted to invite you to talk about, because I know this is a huge part of your work now is connecting people and particularly teens and kids with their own embodied wisdom and intuition. And so I'd love for you to kind of talk about how you do that and why you find that so important and essential. It is so important. It's, it's been so beautiful to watch unfold with teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to step back to just respond briefly about um, having the answers for people yeah, or not, not having them for people. I actually, because I felt so broken so often, mm-hmm. and it's like, I have come to the conclusion that I'm not broken and there's nothing wrong with me. And that is even just to relate that to clients when they come is like, there's nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. You don't need to be fixed. You're perfect exactly the way that you are. And that's the truth. Mm -hmm. And so relaying that to why I love working with teenagers, because even saying that to teenagers is, um, when, when they hear that you see their body, Mm. ah, you know, so, um, I'll just give a sort of an example with intuition and with kids. Um, a while back I was teaching a teen yoga class and the way that I designed it was we were doing yoga together, but we were also journaling and sharing and processing And what I say before any class I teach um, kids or adults is you have permission to do as you choose, right? Mm -hmm. So I get to be your your guide, but if you want to go take a nap for the next hour, take a nap. If you want to do jumping jacks in the corner, great. Like if you don't like what I'm doing, fine. Listen to your body. And what was amazing with um, this class and most of the teen classes is that within 15 minutes, they're on the ground because they're exhausted. Yeah. And it was, and I, I will always remember that um, in one class we were, I was, I was, I, I mean, I will continue to guide them. And so it's like, I'm going to move. And if you can do what you want. So I was in a warrior two, I was guiding a warrior two. And one of the girls was laying, she was kind of, you know, like just like kind of curled up, you know, on her side and she was talking or we were talking and moving. And as I was leading the warrior too, and she was laying down, she put, she was talking then she put both her arms out. Yeah. And I was just like, that is the most beautiful warrior two I've ever seen. (laughs) Right. Because she's a reclining warrior. (laughs) Yeah. She's doing what her body wanted. And when given the space to say, listen to what you need, not what I am asking, that's intuition. Mm -hmm. So what I have found um, with, and why I love doing this with, I mean, with everybody, but especially with teenagers, because again, I wish I knew this when I was that age is integrating the mind, the body, emotions, and breath so that we can listen to our intuition Mm -hmm. and using 
the thoughts, the emotions, our breath as like a GPS system and gaining massive awareness of, oh, I'm having this thought that like I'm bored or like uh, whatever, I have homework to do or whatever it may be. I'm kind of feeling disappointed. I'm feeling angry. My body feels really tight. Okay. Like just in breaking that down, what is the breath doing? Breaking that down and noticing with compassion rather than judgment Yeah. and sitting with it and allowing it and feeling it and expressing it mm-hmm. with your voice, mm-hmm. moving with your body or not. Mm-hmm. Slowing down your breath is a way to regulate the system. And then practicing these things continuously, you know, allows you to listen to where you're most aligned, to what your intuition, which your intuition is always going to give you a clear yes or no, or what choice point. And so working with teens has been like listening to a teenager say, well, I, I, you know, was in a situation and my body just knew. Mm. And it's like, I mean, it's amazing. It's using, you know, different language. When I, you know, I think about how common it is for teenagers to have such opposite experiences with adults, they, you know, their usual encounters, not universally, but so much of the time, um, teenage clients come in and they're being labeled, they're being told that their behavior means a certain thing, such as you're lazy, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of a compassionate story and an understanding and a tune story of, oh, you're laying down all the time because you're exhausted, because <laughs> that's what tired bodies do. Um, they're, they're handed these stories that are so detrimental and so shame-filled without anybody being curious about their experience first. Right. And so to, to have that that space, um, it goes back to that sensation of in, an invitation into a safety that they haven't experienced before. And as they feel that safety, their intuition is welcome to come back online. Because when, when we're not safe, we can't listen to our intuition in the same way, especially if it's being shamed out of us, which I think a lot of teenagers, that's what happens. Right. Because people are telling them and, and you know, consciously or not, mm-hmm. it's what Teenagers and, and us too are constantly being told you're this, you're that, or if, and, and, you know, not being validated, if, you know, it's, if you're feeling a certain way or this idea, right. The busyness, I mean, the kids are exhausted because they're in, you know, well, you know why they're, they're just, they're, <laughs> they're very overscheduled and yeah. very stressed about school and let alone, um, a pandemic and school safety. And so, yeah, take a nap. Yeah. Go take a nap. The nervous system is on, like the volume is so turned up and, and the, the distraction is epic. Right. I mean, I, I was, it was not that long ago, actually happened multiple times. My, my son who's 18, um, he was on the couch and he was, you know, going to take a nap, but he's scrolling through TikTok, And I'm like, I'm so confused. How can you, you know, but this is their brains are, how can you fall asleep 
but you're, <laughs> every 30 seconds is like new stimulation, news, um, someone to compare yourself to where's everybody else right now. Um, and you want to nap How, like <laughs> um, if that is what they know. And so to offer a different experience that isn't just talking, not, I don't mean just that is, um, bringing in the whole system, the whole, the whole system is, it's just a, a sliver of it's possible to like, just, just drop it all down. Well, and you know, I don't have any hard evidence of this, but it feels intuitive to me that a lot of that, um, seeking behavior around, you know, scrolling and looking and adults have the same thing. So it's not like it's just teens. We, we deal with it too. Um, there, there's a craving in us for mirrors, right? Uh, Um, this desire to understand self through looking at others. We're, we're mammals. That's how we're hardwired to make sense of ourselves is in connection and in the mirroring and attunement of others. And because most of us have a, a deficit of it in real embodied life, um, the internet is full of options of, you know, here, try, try these mirrors. And it feels so natural that of course they're going to look at that because they're, they are hardwired to seek out feedback um, from mirrors that look like them. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think that, you know, offering, um, clearer mirrors that are not uh, hijacking their nervous system into overstimulation all the time, such as yogic practices and practices like that, that actually teach them to feel into their own selves and be their own mirror in that way. Um, it, it answers the same craving because we can't ignore the craving. They are going to find an answer to that craving one way or the other. And either we, we partner with them to find uh, healthier solutions or they will go to the thing that's available. Correct. And I think it's hard for them to step away from it. Absolutely. It's, it's hard for us to. Uh, <laughs> right. And it yeah. is, but it is like, I mean, it is ripe for, I mean, when we think about EMDR, it's like they are constant, they, we are constantly being fed. You're not good enough or you're not pretty enough or you're not this enough. And it is, I, I have noticed though, with some of the teenagers and some of the, the high school and the college kids that it is this, like, there is an awareness that it's, it's not all real. Yeah. yeah. And so I think we have gone so drastic that it is catching up, but it, it's, it's undoing a lot of that and unraveling. And again, witnessing it, just being able to, to create a space to acknowledge, like, what is, what is a fact and what is a belief and what is that experience for you? Well, and one thing that uh, I, I don't remember who I was talking to recently, um, but we were talking about this this idea that uh, young people in our culture culture are not actually interested in the wisdom of elders, and how you know part of my French, but that's total bullshit. Like it, there is such a craving for wisdom, um, but wisdom is not actually available in the form that feels safe to to receive from elders. The majority mm-hmm. of the time in our culture, it comes in a way that is punitive, that is condemning, that is restrictive, that is um, anyway. That that could be a soapbox, and I could be on for a while, so I will cut that short. <laughs> but but there there is so much openness and and craving and desire to connect with elders that 
actually can be the clear mirror, but still offer wisdom and guidance. And my experience of uh, young people is that they crave that. And in my own body that is still, you know, I'm kind of right in the middle of like half young and half old and will be for a while. I crave that, you know, and, and so I think the offering coming of back to intuition no. coming yes. back here and you're knowing that like and there's just so many everything is a distraction right there's so many whether it is social media staying busy alcohol drugs what you know work whatever it is it's it can it all either is an a distraction or an invitation to listen to your inner guidance and that feels said, like a really important thesis that you just said everything is either <laughs> So I just want to highlight it real fast okay. <laughs> the, that everything is either a distraction or an invitation to tune into our own intuition. Like if we, if we sit with clients in the reality of that and feel the tension of that pull, um, um, yeah, that just feels like gold to me. Oh, I'm going to sit with that for a moment, <laughs> but it is true because it is this like we intuitively want to connect with people and we're all distracted by so many things mm-hmm. and so how can we discern where we are aligned and who to spend our time with who when to be quiet what to watch what intake um and the more distractions we have though the busier it is in our mind Mm-hmm. And so again, it's like, how can we quiet it down? It's, it's, and, you know, bringing in yoga or energy work or is it's all practice. Mm-hmm. It's all practice. You know, we don't think this is one of the things why I get like, um, really interested in bringing this work into schools yeah. or, you know, or more consistent groups is because, you wouldn't, uh, uh, you would never have like a um, chemistry teacher go into a school and say, great, like, you know, it's September. I'm going to teach you about, I don't know anything about chemistry, about chemistry. <laughs> and, and then I'm going to come back in June and like check on the community and see where you're at with chemistry. Yeah. And I'm finding that, you know, a lot of communities and schools are wanting to bring in um mental health and I, I refer to it as whole health, but it's like one day of coming in. It's an, it's a, it's start, it's an open door, but we need consistency. We got to practice. Like, you know, we have to practice how to slow down our breath. Yes. Yes. Because guess what? It's free and it's with you all the time and no one has to know you're doing it. And right. that is one so thing convenient. <laughs> that people will say, what would, and when I will ask like, what is the most helpful tool for you? My breath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yes. Yes. Well, and, and I love that you bring this up because this is one of the questions that I get a lot, uh, both from clients and from, you know, other clinicians and consultation and things like that around embodiment is uh, questions around, you know, what do we need to learn? What training do I need to take? Um, you know, how do I learn more about embodiment? And and it always kind of hits me in this really puzzled place of it's, it's not about what information do you need to have? Uh, because embodiment, it, we already have all of the information. <laughs> so it's, that's kind of the point all of it. Inside of you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it's it's more um, that embodiment is a natural 
ability that must be cultivated. Um, there, there's a, a Japanese philosopher that uh, talks about this concept and, you know, kind of hammers it over and over this Western idea that uh, you can learn embodiment in any manner other than years worth of cultivation. Mm-hmm. And this, it's such a juxtaposition uh, in, in the two cultures around how we approach these things. And honestly, why I think as Westerners, we crave it and yet struggle with it at the same time. Um, the, the practice of learning embodiment is a exactly that. It yes. is slow and it builds on itself. And it's almost like, it doesn't really matter what particular technique you decide to invest in, whatever you do, and maybe in many different ways, um, the practice is, is viewing your experience and being with your experience in an embodied way. And, and we can do that regardless of what we're doing. Um, you know, one of the most helpful things that I feel like somebody taught me at the very beginning of my PhD program was there's no way that you're going to get your PhD by reading everything that you could read. And even beyond that, you will retain very little of what you read. And so it's more about embodied reading. And same thing with writing. If you try to write in anything less than an embodied way, you end up with a whole bunch of pages of fluff and your professors can clearly see (laughs) that it's just mental fluff. Mm -hmm. And embodied reading, embodied writing, and I think it extends to everything we do, um, working in an embodied way with our clients, embodied eating, you know, engaging with our food, embodied play with children. It's like everything in life can be this invitation into a deeper relationship with body because we're here all the time. So it's so much less about what technique do you try to learn and more about are, are you learning to be with body and actually experience the world through that instead of our mental body all the time? Yes, yes, <laughs> more yes, because it's funny. It was reminding me um, when I when I was studying Reiki, I remember my teacher said something about there not being a test. Yeah. And I was like, oh my, God. I was like, th- th- I've just found the best school I've ever, because school was very hard for me. Yeah. Um, I worked incredibly hard, but um, school was very hard for me. And it's reminding me that, right, it's, it is, there's so much more than the, there, of course there is skill and there, there is theory and this is all so important and research, but truthfully with all of that, I also find that, um, a couple things that are like the most important is witnessing somebody yeah, and being present. Mm-hmm. present embodied activities, not mental exactly. activities. Yes. There is something about just being with somebody in their, in their pain and being able to hold that with them. And that is embodied. That is, it's not me trying to fix you or I've got this or I've got this. It is, I'm with you and I hear you and I witness you and, and then allowing them to explore that in a way that, because we can reflect that, that space. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, like, that is the practice that that is only, I feel like have, um, what's the word I feel like, again, I, sort of how I said before, 
that the essence of that for me has become so much more powerful because of the depths of the work that I've done myself, the layers that I have unfolded and unraveled mm-hmm. because I get it. And it is that the letting go of a lot of my own. Are you okay? There's a fly visiting me in here. <laughs> Um, but that letting go of the pain, mm-hmm. so much of the pain has created space for, for more wisdom and more, uh, more of the ability to listen and hold mm-hmm. space and be mm-hmm. present for other people. Yeah. Yeah. I even, uh, you know, I think we learn so much by being in positions of trying to teach and, and share what we know. And I always find a lot of challenge in figuring out how to verbally communicate um, these concepts because they are so embodied, um, because it's a, a felt sense and a, um, a an attunement that is much more about uh, an inner listening that you just feel when you're in sync with your client, yes. um, or really with any human. And the beautiful is that. Yeah, I know. And, and to, to be able to rely on that without the, the mental efforting. And yet um, there's such a desire in me to find ways to you know, bring people into that knowing early on in their career, because as, as new therapists, well, you know, therapists of all ages and experience, we crave to really do work well. We want to know that we're offering something really meaningful and beneficial to our clients um, and most of us come into our work so under-resourced and under-educated in terms of how do we really find that ease and attunement and that deep synchronicity, right? That, that lining up energetically with our clients so that this flows. Um, at least for me, I had absolutely zero training in how to do that. It was actually from the world of yoga and energy healing and different things that I actually own like, Oh, this is like exactly what I've been looking for. This would have been nice to know in, you know, year one of grad school um, and really my whole life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But you know what, but I also like, but integrating both of those does make such a difference because as a yoga teacher, I feel really, um, I feel really proud of the fact that I also have experience in boundaries and transference and counter-transference when a, a student in yoga has, you know, an emotional activation, how to hold that. Yes. So there is, that is the integrating of all of it, that it feel, I feel like all those skills, um, because um, there's a lot when teaching a yoga class, um, I don't know what people are coming in with. Yeah. And Other so, than you know, and, they're coming in with something. <laughs> right. And so to be able to hold that in a way feels special. Yeah. yeah. And I know that because on a total side note, and this is maybe for another time, but I have had experiences where that have been devastating to me yeah. um, that people have said as a student. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. I, you know, so. Mm-hmm. knowing you never know what someone's coming in with. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I feel like is such a beautiful description of why I absolutely love working in an interdisciplinary team. Mm-hmm. Cause even though, you know, I have trainings uh, and experience on kind of all ends of that spectrum, the, 
the holding of a therapeutic space when you have different people kind of attuned in different ways to the client's needs um, is just so powerful. And I, I think we learn from watching each other uh, be in attunement with, with other bodies. Um, and so that working as a team, even if we're not, you know, with the client as a team, um, just the, the collaboration and um, the sharing of information with each other. And the, the, I, I think one of the things that um, going through the, the Reiki master training also taught me um, the way that they teach. Yes, you learn the skills and techniques, but there's this process that they call at least the, the training that I went through of initiation. Mm-hmm. Where, where the, there's this uh, transfer of ability and power um, from the teacher to the student, and it's not a mental transfer. It's not, I am now telling you this information. It's considered an energetic transfer and a spiritual transfer. And I, I feel like <laughs> at the beginning, when, when that would happen, I had absolutely no idea what the point of any of it was. It's like I'm sitting in this chair and something's supposed to be happening. I'm not feeling anything. I don't know what this is. Only afterwards did I begin to understand like, oh, oh, <laughs> and, and yet I still struggle to actually um, articulate what that is and why. Because it's-, it's almost impossible to articulate it. But I'm, I actually think something that may be helpful for listeners around, because if you're listening, you don't know what Reiki is, mm-hmm. um, something that may be useful. And um, I imagine you can connect to this too. And one other way that I bring energy healing or not necessarily energy healing, but knowledge of Reiki and then bring that energy piece in with clients is, you know, uh, we all have chakras, which are like spinning wheels of energy in our body. Mm -hmm. And just as much as in our mind, our thoughts get stuck and Mm -hmm. rooted in our emotions, find a home in our body. So does energy get stuck. Right. And so, you know, one thing that Reiki does is supports moving that energy, balancing it through. And one of the things that I found really aligned with Reiki healing and my clients is what is one of the first things that we do with EMDR, right? It's like a safety. Yes. And so with Reiki, our first chakra is our root and it is connected to feelings of safety, mm-hmm. of trust of, um, where we feel rooted, right. It's when our needs are met or not met. And so combining those, or again, integrating or coming in with that, those different perspectives is we can connect to that energetic piece and we can bring, uh, the Reiki healing into that as well. Yes. And so I think that's just really fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and again, people, People may be like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. It's like, you don't have to. It's okay. And yeah. then there's a feeling like, wait a minute. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, something feels a little bit different. And it's like, okay, great. Let's just note it, notice what you feel. Let's get curious about, oh, you feel a little softer in your belly or your shoulder, even today. So I was saying to this client and she was, she was feeling really disappointed about something. And no one had ever asked her this question, but I said, well, where do you notice it in your body? She's like, oh, my, you know, right in my throat. And so we did some gentle neck rolls. Yeah. And then she said, well, I think it's moving down to my shoulders. We did a little shoulder roll. <laughs> and she's like, oh, it just feels like it's kind of, you know, it's expanded. It's not as constricted anymore. So 
it's, it's just all connected. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's and the, the idea that we could move emotional sensation by moving our body teaches us so much about what that actually is, that mm-hmm. the, the mind body connection, I feel like when we try to verbalize and articulate it because of the limitations of our language, we can't get away from dualism because our, our language is based on labeling. And so we, we have to rely on dualistic language. We don't have a word that means mind body together. We can say things like whole, right. But it, it evokes a a part of the idea, but for most of us, it doesn't quite get to the core essence of it. Other languages have words that encapsulate this idea because they've been working with it for a lot longer in our culture. We still rely on a, um, a contraction, right. A bringing together of two different words, because we're still in that space of dualism around our mind and body. And yet in practice, the reality of their interconnection makes itself known and we can move out of the need for that dualistic language and that dual thinking. Um, and yet I still struggle with the articulation of it. So if you ever run across a word that <laughs> makes sense to people, please let me know. <laughs> okay. I'm going to come up with that. Well, maybe we'll <laughs> please do. together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just uh, make up a word. <laughs> that's that. that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Beth, so I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I, I do want to take a minute and just kind of let you talk about um, some of the the offerings that you have in your work that our listeners might be interested in. Definitely want you to share a little bit about Life School, which is something that you're doing right now. And you can uh, share with them how they can find you, get in touch with you and, and see what you're up to. I would love to. Um, so, you know, I shared with you that I started as a school social worker and now, you know, these years later with we'll come up with the word, but the whole experience or the integrated modalities, I feel like I've sort of um, come back around and I've created something called Life School 101. And really it's teaching kids how to be human. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's not group therapy. Yeah. Again, I bring my therapist self to the program, but it's not a therapeutic, it's not a therapy specific group. But what it is, is it is an eight week experience and each week it's all virtual. And each week the kids receive a video from me. And in that video is we're, excuse me, we're focusing on a pillar each, each time. So it's the concept of whole health. Then it's the mind, emotions, the body and intuition. And within each week and each video is um, different ways to approach the topic so so that we can reach everybody, whether it is it's journaling, movement, meditation, a breathing technique, a rest, and then a practice and a play. Mm-hmm. And then we come together weekly on Zoom. And so it's it's really fun and I feel like it provides a space for, and kids have access forever to the, um, the video. So for the platform, once they come, they have access to it forever. So they can always come back and practice and, and yeah, it's been amazing because it's people just say like, Oh, I, they, you know, when one kid says it, they're all like, Oh, right. I feel they, because everybody feels this way. And it is really, it is, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about even today is we can't, we can't change things that happen. 
And we can't, there's always going to be, um, whether it's stress or worry or just life happening. And we can't change that, but we can change our response to it by getting super aware of our emotions that they, you know, all of what we've talked about today is, is kind of put in the pot of life school and I really love it. I'm going to be bringing it into a, I'm going to be rippling it into a school year round this year, which I'm really excited about. So the, the, you know, the goal is to eventually bring it into more schools. And I really want to get this, um, to, um, all students. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, there's scholarship available. There is, there's a lot of offerings. So if people are listening and feel like maybe they don't have the funds, this is really my, my um, desire to bring this to communities that may not have access. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a, that is a topic that is, you know, near and dear. And I feel very strong about being able to provide this communities that don't have access to yoga or wouldn't, wouldn't have access to energy healing. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's something that feels that I'm inspired to do. And yeah, I'm really excited. So my next series starts in the fall and I have a waiting list up on my website. Yeah. So um, if we want to link the website there, it's just bethsegloff.com. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we will, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes so, so that people Great. can find it really easily. Yeah. And as we move on, like I'll have information sessions that people can come to mm-hmm. and just to share more about any questions that was for high school and I have one for high school and for college. Okay. Wonderful. And for parents too. Oh yeah. That's another population yeah. in desperate need. <laughs> yeah. Well, but again, it's bringing the same language. So yeah. it's like, you know, then a parent or caregiver can say, oh, I tried the three part breath today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really helped. Mm-hmm. So it's do that together, maybe <laughs> it's, it's connecting, it's connecting yeah. and really being able to see one another and be in it together and more collaborative. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, wonderful. Yeah. So we'll, we'll link your website and uh, all your contact uh, info in the show notes so that people can find you and learn more about your work and about life school in particular, the, the fall co- cohort that'll be starting for that program. It's super exciting. Oh, no. All right, Beth. Well, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. And I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I hope everybody listening enjoyed it half as much as I did. So (laughs) I feel like we could, we have so much to talk. There's so much more. I know. know. Yeah, no, there's like things that we didn't even touch on. I mean, I I think we need to talk about grief yoga, even though we're out of time, because that's a, a fascinating uh, kind of lane that you're in. Yeah. I say one word about grief, maybe not one word, but um, you know, I think that, so I teach a class called grief yoga mm-hmm. and before the pandemic, I called it yoga for compassionate healing. Mm. And now it's like, let's just call it what it is. Yeah. It is. I think that people are much more open to the word grief yes. and just for some awareness for anyone who is listening, that grief comes in all forms. Mm-hmm. Grief can be the death of a loved one. And grief can also be the the loss of a job, it can be a breakup, a divorce, it can be a loss of a part of yourself. And it can be the loss of a life that you expected, which is something that we can all really connect with. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, and I I think something that I've been kind of meditating a lot about lately and thinking and talking about is 
that the lifestyle of choosing to be a healer of any kind is a lifestyle that necessitates some kind of ongoing grief practice because we're, we're used to the concept of secondary trauma, but secondary grief is just as real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are absorbers and uh, we get in the grief with other people. And so even if there's not a specific loss that our body is currently processing, that feels like, you know, we own it and that happened to us, we're still exposed to so much loss and grief. And in that attunement, our hearts feel and our bodies feel with the people that we're sitting with. And so that grief is in our body too. Um, So I, I really believe that as therapists and as healers, we need some kind of ongoing grief practice to allow that to move through us. Otherwise, at least for me, if my grief stays stuck for too long, it turns to rage really fast. (laughs) And, And when do you get to experience, you know, I mean, I think again, we should go on for a lot longer about this, but rage is an emotion. And so in grief yoga, we release emotion and we use that, we do that using movement, breath, and sound. And, um, but it is what you're talking about in terms of healers and therapists and being with people in their pain and in their grief, it is very real. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is, there is the pain of it. There is also this massive, I know I feel this massive love and compassion. Yeah. Right. Because again, listening to somebody else's experience and story and, and right, absorbing it, but also holding them with compassion. But it, it, it is, it is, takes massive self-care mm-hmm. to, to continue yeah. and to hold, be able to hold that space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I would love to, for all of us to begin to kind of transition the notion of self-care away from uh, things that help us relax to things that help help us express and release whatever we're holding. Um, because, Beautiful. you know, sometimes I don't need a massage. What I need is a punching bag and that is self-care. And, uh, you know, there, there are so many times that um, I, I don't need to, to lay down and rest. And certainly there's plenty of times that I do, but there's so much energy that I feel that is held back because I, it's not appropriate to fully express my reaction about whatever I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. And so finding creative spaces and ways to actually give our body permission to let go of those things and to let it move through to be fully felt and released to me, that's the the work of self-care that goes way beyond relaxation. So yes. that's, that's my- the girls in life school, <laughs> this past round, one of the sessions we, we were releasing anger by, by punching a pillow yeah. and, you know, it was so awkward. Of course they were like, this is so weird. And like, you're weird. And, but it's fine. I was like, I know, that's okay. <laughs> fine. you know, try it or not, but like, yeah. I'm going to be over here. Like, oh! it. And, yeah. and there was this like laughter, yeah. but you know, I could see this, like a, a visceral, like, you know, really letting go. And it is to give people a space to let anger out. Yes. And not, again, not just like, I'm really mad about that. Yeah. Yeah. But a whole body experience and, and vocalize it is amazing. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. One, one of my favorite rage practices um, was taught to me by one of my yoga teachers and she referred to it as bolster bashing. 
because uh, yoga bolsters are nice and meaty. You know, they have a, a good uh, weight and chunk to them. <laughs> and if you, you toss them around a room and hit them up against a wall, it just provides a lot of wonderful resistance and feedback to your muscles and to your body that really feels like a full release is occurring. So that's one of my favorite, uh, a good bolster bashing session. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is, uh, and I often offer this to clients and really hope that they take me up on it and some do and some don't. Um, but the offering is to try ugly dancing in the privacy of your own home, like dance, but don't make it pretty like dance in a way that it is just about full expression of whatever you're feeling. In fact, try to make it as ugly as possible and magical things will happen emotionally. (laughs) Dancing is one of my, my favorite healing. Hopefully it's not that ugly dancing, but but dancing. I need permission for it to be ugly. (laughs) Oh, totally. Yes. Um, But it's joy for me. Dancing is pure joy. And I think that's like just to sort of end on this, um, you know, it, it is the whole expression, the whole of life is like, I know that I felt like the darkest dark. And so I also know that I can feel like the joyest of the joy. Right. And right. it's possible. Yeah. Feeling it all means feeling it all. <laughs> True. Yeah. All right. Well, for, for our second round now, we're going to yeah. try to sign off. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. All right, Beth. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll stay on for just a second because I want to say bye to you, but we'll we'll say goodbye to our listeners and uh, we'll thank be you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, guys. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you help your clients in the process of EMDR therapy. If you are curious to learn more about something that you've heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming EMDR and case conceptualization trainings. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Notice That Podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, you might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media. Beyond Trauma is an educational podcast on the journey of trauma therapy and what it means to be humans who have been hurt, but are learning to recover and grow, living the life we all want of safety and connection. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you in the stories you hear. The Evidence-Based Therapist is an educational podcast where we read so you don't have to. On this podcast, we discuss seminal, recent, and relevant research on psychotherapeutics and the embodied relational sciences. How do we know what is evidence-based and how do we use it in our practice? You'll find out on the EBT podcast.